This is episode 57 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Colton Lukey on the show and Colton deep dives into the Welland, Niagara and Fort Erie region talking about his rental portfolio, how he's scaled in just the last few years from being only at one property in 2016 to now he's about to close on his sixth uh, and get to that that 13 door mark. Uh, Colton's only 27 years old, but he's implemented systems and procedures that have helped him grow to the point he's at while self-managing his properties and doing some of the renovations on his own. Uh, he's clearly a very ambitious guy, loves to travel, and he talks today about how he balances the working a full-time job with being a active investor and still traveling the world when he pleases. Uh, he really is doing it all, and he adds a ton of value in this episode about the specific procedural things that he does when it comes to assessing properties, buying properties, and then managing them afterwards. Before we get started, I wanted to ask a quick favor. Please make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. And if you have not already, please make sure that you leave me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. I'd really appreciate it. And it helps the podcast to grow and reach more people. The next Greater Hamilton REI Meetup is happening on Thursday, March 19th. If you're not already in our private group, please find the link to that in the show notes for this episode and add yourself. The event link will be posted Posted to the announcements section of the group. These events are constantly the highlight of my month. I love having the opportunity to talk to fellow investors and share and help each other learn and grow. And I know you're going to get a lot of value out of it if you attend and you are in fact interested in growing your own real estate portfolio. So please just make sure that you do add yourself an RSVP so that we can keep our venue apprised of our numbers. Without further ado, here is Colton Lukey. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Colton Lukey on the show. Long time coming. Known him for quite some time, but never really knew the whole story. We're going to find out today. Colton, first off, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, talking with you and telling a little bit about my backstory. Yeah, so you're a, a Welland investor? Welland, Niagara region. Yeah, so not just particularly in Welland, but uh, kind of throughout the Niagara region as I continue to uh, grow the portfolio. So Niagara region, just give me a couple of examples of, uh, of towns you've invested in. I know you just told me off camera that you have a couple new ones. We'll talk about those in a second. But, For sure. Um, yeah. So Welland was where I purchased my first property. Uh, got properties in St. Catharines and then uh, most recently Fort Erie. Okay, so St. Catharines, Fort Erie and Welland. Those are the big, the big three? Those are the big three. There's well, there's going to be a total of six now um, once these ones close. So, okay, yeah. So two new offers. Is that right? Yeah. So the last two weeks there was two offers made and uh, both accepted, all within two weeks of each other. Okay. And tell me about your portfolio right now. Like, what kind of properties? You said you're at six six uh, buildings. Six buildings. I co- well, as soon as you finish these. Yeah. So um, at the end of or beginning of April will be the last one we close on for this. these two. Uh, it'd be six buildings totaling 13 units. Six buildings totaling 13 units. Mostly uh, duplexes. I guess one triplex in there. Yeah. So it's um, five duplexes and then I'm a silent partner on a triplex. Okay. Tell me a little bit about that. What are you doing as far as structure? Are most of these joint venture partners... Yeah, yeah. So four out of the six are going to be joint ventures. Um, The silent partnership was essentially just a friend who bought a duplex and um, it had an empty basement that could be turned into a triplex. Didn't have all the funds to do the renovation. So I funded that in turn. And then in return, 
um, got some cash flow from that. We split some of that. Um, so you got a piece of the equity because I got of that? A piece of the equity, the cash flow. Um, and then the other joint ventures are just straight 50 50. So 50 50 uh, down payment, closing yeah. costs, reno, everything like that. Okay, tell me a little bit about why you decided to go the joint venture route. And actually, just before we do that, for context, how old are you right now? 27. 27. So you still look young. You still look, you know, you're more accomplished than I was at 27. So so good work. I'm not saying I did anything fantastic by then, but um, so you're, you're obviously doing well so far. Why did you decide to go the joint venture route? Uh, so after my first property I purchased in 2016, I kind of got some bad advice from the particular bank I was working with. Essentially, I bought it in 2016, was working like two part-time jobs. Uh, so my income level wasn't very high in terms of job income. So they said I couldn't qualify for another mortgage. Yet I had a property I was house hacking. I was practically living for free. I still live in that property. And... Um, yeah, refied it, had all this money, and they still said, nope, we're not going to give you another mortgage. So I was like, okay, well, I want to keep this train going. And uh, that's when I started looking for a joint venture and it actually happened to be my realtor I was working with uh, at the time. And we've um, since then have bought two properties together. So uh, it was essentially that I was forced to, forced to get into the joint venture route because I couldn't get traditional financing then. So you got a no, but you didn't take it as no, no means no. You said, okay, well, how, how, no means how am I going to do this uh, a different way? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like I bought that my first property in 2016, but didn't purchase my second property in 2018 because I was like, darn, I can't purchase another property. And then I started getting more, more knowledge and then learned the joint venture out. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to keep, keep pushing forward. And then you, you know, all of a sudden you figure out what you didn't know. You figure out that little piece that was missing and there you go. For sure. Um, okay. So got to doing some joint ventures. So just your first one doesn't have a joint venture. Correct. Yeah. And then and uh, that's your home. That's where you, you that's have my, that. yeah, that we, it's a duplex that we uh, live in. Welland? Welland. Catharines. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you live Welland. in Welland. Yeah. Right near the, right near Niagara college campus. That's another one. I mean, it's been a while since I had a true Welland investor on the show, um, growing market. I'm obviously very fond of the Niagara region in general. I just think that, that it's a, it's got huge long-term potential. Where are you seeing the most potential in your market right now? There's still deals to be found everywhere, but I mean, if you can stay along the QEW and where these go trains are, are then like that is where you're going to see the biggest growth. Um, I my property in St. Catharines is about a five minute walk from the go station, and they just announced that they're going to be um, more frequent trains are going to be coming through there. Uh, so that's fantastic, but growth overall in the Niagara region, it doesn't matter which market St. Catharines booming, Niagara Falls booming, even all the way out to 40, you can't get any farther than Fort Erie and, uh, it's seen prices really take off. So for context, Fort Erie is right across the bridge from Buffalo, uh, for our American friends and Fort Erie is obviously also very interesting because it's only about an hour away from me and, and there's, I see huge potential there. You said you just bought one there. Do you mind walking me through the numbers, uh, what that looks like? Sure. Well, first off, tell us what it is, and, and then we'll, we'll get into some of the numbers. Yeah, so it's a uh, duplex. It's got two two-bedroom units, so a main floor and then an upper unit as well. Um, it's got separate hydro, separate gas. And, and you bought it like that? I already had like separate hydro? Yeah, already had that. So this How pro- old? It says between 50 and 99 years. Okay. Um, it looks like it's probably about a 40s build. 
So usually my properties were like 1960s or 70 builds. Um, and the reason why I did that is because not very much can go wrong in terms of foundations, a poured concrete foundation. Worst thing you're going to have is aluminum wiring, which can easily be pigtailed. Um, so this property is a 1940s build. So um, I had to get out of my comfort zone to buy this one. But um, I saw the value in it because I was able to get it 100% vacant. Um, so like I said, it's a two bedroom up and down each unit. Um, it was originally listed, I think for two fifty nine nine, uh, and I was able to purchase it for 245. Uh, and the reason being was because everybody wanted it vacant, but nobody for some reason could get it vacant. Um, so essentially but you I f- got it vacant, but so. I got it vacant. Yeah. So, uh, it was listed for like a month, I would say on the market and it had a couple offers, but, um, for reasons they fell through. So after finding out that the upstairs tenant actually already signed a lease for a, a new place in Niagara Falls, I was like, okay, so now I'm 50% vacant. This is already making sense number wise because they were paying a low rent. And then I found out that the downstairs tenant actually wanted to move in the summertime up north and they were related to the seller. So I was like, this might be a little bit easier. So my agent got in contact with the seller's agent and, um, got them to sign the N11 form. And um, so it will be vacant upon closing. That's fantastic. I love vacant purchases. That's the, the biggest concern I've had. And it's it's like an irrational fear is, is taking on someone else's tenants because I have had bad experiences with it. Right. You know, it's not, it doesn't have to be the end of the world, but you got to, you know, that tenants you place, like you took care when you picked them. Exactly. And, and I find like I, I hate saying like training, but you kind of have to train your tenants from the get-go. Sure. Right. And if they had a bad landlord before, um, they're going to continue that with you. And that's something that I'm learning right now from inheriting a previous tenant. But they're they're essentially learning now that, you know, don't come to me because a light bulb's burnt out. I gave you light bulbs. You can change yeah, a you light can bulb, throw right? Yourself. Yeah. So uh, just things like that. Yeah. Technically, tenants are supposed to replace their own light bulbs. And I kind of I kind of say sorry I asked when I asked them hey you know guys like is there anything that needs to be addressed in the house because I want them to tell me and they're like well actually these three light bulbs are burnt out I'm like go on Amazon order light bulbs and replace them that's right yeah <laughs> yeah for me a lot of my properties are uh, all inclusive so um, I like to make sure that they're buying the best LED possible so that's why I will supply them to keep sure. the bills down yeah. um, so that's kind of why I do it, right? I do the same. I do that for my student rentals. Now, you're doing that for family rentals? Family rentals, yeah. So I don't because have Because you don't have separate utilities on those houses? Uh, no. So the one that the only one that's going to be, besides a triplex now uh, that I'm signing the partner on, but the only other one that's going to be a duplex true separate uh, utilities is going to be the Fort Erie property. Okay. So back to the Fort Erie property. Because yes. we're, we're in a, you know what? After this, I want to talk uh construction types and nerd out on pigtailing aluminum wiring and all that stuff because i think that's a valid discussion that doesn't really get dove into very often so sure we'll go into that okay so you purchased for 245 what do you figure you're gonna have to do to it are you planning to renovate it yeah so um the upstairs tenants were hoarders um i was actually just there yesterday to get some measurements because they're out um they actually moved everything out. So that was awesome. But um, so, but the upstairs is going to be where most of the work needs to be done. Um, I still like to be as hands-on as possible. So um, meaning doing work yourself? Doing work myself. Yeah. So besides like big things, like maybe some tile work and electrical work and plumbing, I won't do. I'll leave that to a professional, but paint and flooring I'm going to do. Um, and installing like a kitchen and stuff like that I can do. Okay. Um, like you put in your own countertop and all yeah. that? 
all okay. that stuff. Backslash, I'm just I'm, she'll do. Or I no? won't do back. No, tile. You don't work. like tile? No, tile. I'll stay away. It's just it's too easy to get messed up and yeah. crooked and and all you'll that. see it <laughs> and you will see it. So. um the upstairs unit is going to be where all the work needs to be done because the main floor tenant actually left it like perfect besides paint. So um, the upstairs I'm budgeting for about 10 to 12,000. Um, and that's going to include new windows on the upstairs. It's going to include new flooring, um, toilet, vanity, some tile work and paint. Wow. You do it on a dime. Yes. Okay. So $12,000, you figure that's it for the whole house or do you got some more elsewhere? Um, over, I mean, next couple of years, I'll probably replace a couple more windows. Okay. But 12,000 does it for now. Yeah. Are you going to go back and refinance? That's the plan. Okay. Yeah. So a little, a little burr, uh, buy reno rent refinance repeat. That's right. Let's, uh, okay. So let's get into your total investment here. So you will be purchased plus reno 257,000. And then what do you figure the value is when you're done? So based on comps on the street, I should be able to get around 315. Okay. So we're figuring a new loan at 80%. Mm-hmm. So you'll be 252. So you're going to have a net investment if all goes well. And this will be a quick refi too. You'll be right back at the bank in a couple of weeks, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm hoping, hoping. You'll be like $5,000 in. So $5,000 investment. Uh, let's look at your cash flow and then we'll dig into uh, we'll dig into why um, as far as your previous rents and your current rents. Cash flow, what do you figure you're going to get? So per unit, we can get... I'm hoping to get 1250, but I'm kind of my numbers are going to run at 1200. So plus, that's your rent. So you're thinking gross rent 1200 per unit. Yes, yeah, so 2400. So 2400 on the house. Yeah, they pay hydro and gas. So I pay the mortgage taxes, um, water and insurance. Okay, so just you know, people listening at home, if you're trying to get a feel for your numbers, hey, what's a good number? What's a bad number? You bought for 245, and you're expecting 2400 in gross rent almost the 1% rule, which is like the gold standard of that's what you really want, especially in Ontario. I mean, there are other markets where that's common, but here that's like almost unheard of. So good find. And I do have a YouTube channel. I'm just going to do a little plug here. I do have a YouTube channel where I go more in depth about the 1% rule and it doesn't always have to be 1%, but if you can get close to that, it's, it's harder to lose money. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, I've just kind of reverse engineered mine. 0.65% has always been good to me. I've always done decent at 0.65 or above. Uh, it gets better from there, but I, I'm okay if I'm at 0.65. And I'll I'll reverse en- engineer that on deals right off the bat. That's like my first check to see if I even want to look at something. You know, I'll think, what's market rent? And what would I have to pay for that? Okay, I'm interested or I'm not. And then we, we move on to the next step. So cash flow, if you're getting 2,400, I'm sure you've worked out some rough numbers. Do you have a ballpark cash flow on that? Yeah, I'm hoping to get around $1,000 a month wow, in cash flow. Wow, 1000 bucks a month on a $5,000 investment. That's a five month payback. <laughs> that's right. That's just, that's the power of the Burr method though. Right? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's incredible. So, all right. So let's look at our appreciation then. So you're at 315 in that market. We'll say even just 2%, you're still going to look great. Um, but uh, obviously we know we've been doing better than that, but who knows what, what happens in the future. Exactly. And then you've got uh, principal pay down. So that's your mortgage paying down. And that is going to be so our new mortgage is 252,000 so we're just going to say about 3% of that that's about 7500 so if you combine those three so your total return on that is going to be actually I just got to show your cash flow as an annual figure here so you're getting $25,860 in a year return on something you have $5,000 invested in so your return on investment is something silly. So let's just look at what your return on investment is. This is a great deal. This is a really nice one. 
find me one of these <laughs> yeah no problem <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so looking at that you're you're a 517 percent return on investment yeah, I never calculate that, but yeah, that's that's crazy when you say it like that. Yeah, or five times. You know, people start saying, "Hey, you know, so you're five times in your investment in the first year." Uh, that's if you're doing that. If you're using the Burr method this way, if you're only five thousand dollars into a property, um, you're just absolutely going to be laughing in ten years' time. Uh, you know, we used to have this in Ontario where you used to be able to invest in stuff with five percent down. You didn't even have to Burr. Right. But then as the market changed and the mortgage rules changed, and now we got to put down 20% on an investment property, like people had to adapt. And I think this is the the adaptation that was needed for sure to, to do this kind of a model. So granted, people were always doing this. It's just, it was not, it wasn't popular. called that. Yeah. It wasn't popular. Yeah. It wasn't called the burr. Yeah. It was no. just called, uh, you know, I think there was like a flip to yourself, flip to yourself. That's just like a refinance. A, people would just say, I refinance. That's like a keyspire terminology. Right? I think I've heard Scott McGilvery say that. Yeah. Yeah. Scott McGilvery talks about that. Um, really good deal. Now I wanted to take a step back into that. You, you said something really interesting, which I resonate with a lot. And that is being very choosy about the type of houses I'll buy. I mean, Looking in Canada, like you see it because back in, in the 1900s, like early 1900s, they didn't really have building inspections. It wasn't as common. Um, as far as permitting goes, you could probably just send in a drawing or not even get a permit and just build your own house. Right. And what I saw in some of the older houses is just it's like the less money they had. They just hired worse carpenters. And the, the, it was like, oh, this should be enough. You know, oh, we'll just put this wall here. Hey, it's not, you know, it's only three feet off of the load bearing wall below. It'll be okay. Um, I actually bought a house where the wall was three feet off of the beam and there was a giant hump in the floor because the ceiling from the, the second floor was pushing down on the main floor. Oh my God. And it was, it was pushing down so much that the wall, the floor humped up over the beam. And, you know, you'll <laughs> see these type of things. Where you wouldn't see that on a new house or, or and you wouldn't see it on a house from the same era that was, you know, brick build in a nice neighborhood. They wouldn't take shortcuts. But there, I guess what I'm getting at is there's more of a variance in older houses. Absolutely. And that's why I tried to stay away from those mm-hmm. pre-1960, even 1950, I would dabble in. Essentially, once knob and tube was faded out, I think that was a yeah. major thing I wanted to stay away from. Um but yeah, you're 100% right. Back in the day, there was no building code. So that's why you see some houses with roofs that are, you know, sagging in yeah. because it just the construction wasn't wasn't there. There was still pride of workmanship. There were still good oh, carpenters, but then there were the ones that don't care and there was no one to call them on it, right? As long as the house didn't fall over right after it was built, you know, that was kind of okay. Yeah. Um, I have bought houses from the, from the uh, early 30s 40s 50s uh they represent a large portion of my portfolio and yeah a lot of the wiring had to be torn out Uh, a lot of the plumbing old cast iron potential for leaks you know it tends to leak around the 100 year mark and and i've had it leak a lot sooner than that like i've had you know my one house from the 40s it it was basically raining on the second floor because the plumbing was leaking so um you know there there are things that you're just going to have to deal with and that's why i don't really like to own stuff with that so you can still buy those old houses, but you got to realize like you're still going to have these problems with these houses um, and it it might not happen right away, but it will. So as long as you budget for it, you're OK. But I had a house that was exactly that. Uh, I wasn't planning on renovating it, but I'd have students calling me saying it's raining on the main floor, taking videos and sending it to me. Absolutely pouring. No one can understand what's happening. They're performing every single test we can on the plumbing, not getting any answers. Right. 
uh, the water was hitting the knob and tube wiring that was running because knob and tubes exposed. Oh, so it was shorting out, shorting out the breaker panel. <laughs> and it wow. came to a point, I'm like, enough's enough. All this plumbing's getting redone. All this wiring's getting redone. Uh, so I got the tenants to move out so I could do the reno and just totally clean it up. Yeah. Because I just, I don't want to, as a landlord, I don't want to deal with that. No. And it's also just, yeah, the peace of mind, right? Knowing that when it's done updated, right, your electrical and plumbing's updated, you're not going to have to worry for a very long time. At least if it's done right, you shouldn't have to worry. Well, that's the peace of mind, right? To know that it was done the way you would do it. Like exactly. You would want it done. Um, it, there is a, there is definitely a value in that. Like I see a lot of these guys doing, um, these duplex conversions. Right. And they're doing it themselves. And a lot of them are doing them for basically nothing. Like they're, they're, by the time they're done, they're basically their purchase plus their rental cost is what the property's worth, according to the appraiser. But there's the intangible value of knowing I'm the one that renovated the property. I know it was done right. I know I didn't cut corners. For sure. You know, it, that, that is definitely worth something. Absolutely. Um, so what's the worst thing you've seen in a property you've bought? So the first property I ever bought was 1970s build and had i couldn't see it because the basement was all that old particle board around it but it had four pretty serious foundation cracks um and i bought it in june and for some reason it was a wet june and water was just coming in everywhere so um that was my first prep i ever bought barely had any money so i'm relying on like lines of credits and credit cards Mm -hmm. to finish this reno and then this foundation issues come up as i start ripping apart the basement to make it um essentially legal a legal apartment um so my biggest issues have been foundation cracks my second property same thing big foundation crack probably scared about 90 percent of the buyers away but i knew the true cost of that now when you say foundation crack are you talking like a jagged diagonal crack or a straight up and down more or less up and down if it's diagonal that's when you're going to have um I think more serious issues. Um, at least that's what I've been told by by an engineer. Right. And that I think, and I'm no engineer, so don't quote me here. But as far as I can tell, when I'm looking at it is loads carry straight down. So the second you have a diagonal crack, it means that there's something not being carried straight down. There's some sort of stress on the foundation that's not allowing a load of weight to be carried straight down. So there might be a footing issue. There might already be a crack in a footing that's separating uh, and yeah, that's a sign that, Hey, you might have to trace that back, but even that is fixable. Absolutely. People do like, I kind of look at structural issues as an opportunity. It's a huge opportunity because most people are scared. And I, I found generally in real estate investing at times when most people are scared of a property it is definitely the most profitable opportunity. You just need to be the person that can handle whatever people are scared of. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Usually if you see foundation issues or it smells really, really bad. That's where you're going to make the most money, I find. Yeah. I am still waiting for my cat pee house. I've just oh, been waiting. Oh, I got waiting one for you. Come to Fort Erie. All right. Yeah. You know what? I'm <laughs> careful what you wish for. <laughs> I wish I had teams set up in, in Fort Erie, but I, I mean, it's worth, in my mind, just being the market it is, hour away, it's worth setting something up there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we'll definitely have to have that conversation after. But uh, yeah, tell me, like, what's the opportunity? Just give me an idea of what, because I want to understand what you look for, like what looks like a great deal to you. What's your process for finding the next deal? So my purchase price is usually under 260. All my properties have been purchased under that. Um, And I'm still able to find that price point now. Um, It's just acting fast. So for me, it's the biggest thing is, can you, like, I always try to find a bungalow, again, 1960 or 70s build, 
can it support a basement apartment? Can it be done legally? And how many bedrooms can it fix? So May 2019, um, property purchase in Welland for 260, we were able to add an extra bedroom um, and then some little bit of uh, paint, flooring and stuff like that. But that property then got refied at 335 just by adding a bedroom and a little bit of paint bedroom on the main floor or basement bedroom in the basement so we you didn't even e- duplex it we couldn't even touch the upstairs because there's tenants up there oh so it was already a duplex and you just yeah, added a bedroom so, yeah the owner lived in the basement and um but just by simply adding essentially value add is where you want to find right strategic renovations i've only ever put in one new kitchen in all my properties right the rest wow. of them have been paint like cleaned painted uh and put back up or I've bought and used ones from like Habitat for Humanity or Kijiji. Um, it's strategically renovations that I find the most value. So I know that I can probably add a bedroom, floor an entire basement apartment, and put a bathroom in for ten grand, no problem. And you're doing it on a dime. Like like I said, you're doing the work yourself. A lot of people can't relate to that. Not everybody can do that. But I am not opposed to starting that way. Like no matter what you're doing, no matter where you're at, how busy you are, if you are really serious about growing aggressively, it's almost like you need to start that way as a rite of passage just to know what goes into it. Especially if you don't come from a lot of money, right? Like for me, I was forced to. I I work in finance. I do not have a construction background. So everything I've learned has been hands-on, YouTube, reading books, like asking people, um, you make mistakes, but then you learn not to do it again, right? Right. Shut off the right breaker so you don't get zapped, right? Like, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> You're more ambitious than I am. I stop, I stop at that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't do my own electrical work anymore. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, and I, and I meant to ask you... Um, what you do so you're in finance and we'll we'll get to that so you you talk about the opportunity that you're looking for an opportunity that looks good to you um you kind of got started on that a little bit can you elaborate a bit more you know your your typical analysis process when you're looking at deals like you start on mls are you on realtor.ca all my properties have been on the mls um i'm just now focusing to try and get private deals um but yeah all my pros all my properties have been on the mls I put the filter in as like my max purchase price is say 350 and I'll see what's on there. If something comes up and I, and it either has tenants that have been there for a while, example, a 40 year property who are paying low rent, what can I do to get that vacant? Right. Um, so that's the first thing I look at is does it from day one cash flow, and like not as is like, like essentially if I can get it vacant, will it cash flow a couple of days if I get it rented out? Right. Like I'm not saying cash flow from day one as. In, OK, so so assuming you can get a vacant, can I add market rent and current condition cash flow? Exactly. Which in those markets currently you should be able to. Absolutely. Rents have skyrocketed in, in the Niagara region recently. There's just such a shortage and more people coming. Um, but then I look at things like how old's the roof? How old's the furnace? How old are the windows? These are questions I'll ask the realtors selling the property because I want to know what I'm getting myself into. If I know it needs a new roof, new furnace, new windows, essentially a, a complete redo, I might stay away from that because that might be too much capital I'm willing to put up. It might be too long of a turnaround process. Do you have a gauge on what the appraiser is going to value versus what they're not? Or is it just like, I'm not willing to find the money to pay for those renovations? Essentially, I'm not willing to find the money to yeah. to pay for those renovations. So what's your max like renovation on a house? Like, What's the most you've spent on a single project or anticipate to spend on one of the upcoming ones? 
Um, my second property was about forty grand. For it, and that was with a JV, and that's because we ran into some foundation those foundation issues. Like we knew of them, so we knew from the yeah. get go it'd be more money. Um, but typically, I like to keep it between like under fifteen grand if I can. Okay, and your yeah. JV funded funded that, or you, 50, you funded 50. it? Okay, so is that how you do all of your JVs? That's how You're all fifty fifty cash and yeah, so somebody far. else on the money on the mortgage. Yep. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Now, with with regards to that issue, did you guys just do a wrap on the inside of the foundation, like with Delta membrane? Yeah, it's exactly so it. So you waterproofed it. Yeah, yeah. injections and then uh, waterproofed around with the membrane. Yeah, I'm of the opinion that if if you're investing, and I see a lot of people doing like eighty thousand dollar basement finishing renovations, just waterproof it. I mean, if you're putting that kind of money into a basement. It would be an absolute terrible nightmare to all of a sudden get water coming in your foundation, coming in a window. Yeah, um, do so it right I, from the get-go. I've had enough of it, enough challenges with it, that unless I am like just beyond certain that there's not going to be an issue, I just do it. Uh, there's just no point. Um, so that was the worst that you've seen. That Now, what did that job cost as far as fixing? Just that, the, the job of fixing that foundation leak. I have a couple of pictures on my Instagram. We actually had to dig out the entire garage. So they busted up the concrete, dig it out because just where the crack was, um, it was on the in the garage, but on it was in a bedroom in the basement okay, against the bedroom wall. Against yeah. the bedroom wall, so they actually had to dig out, and we had probably about a twenty foot pile of dirt in our front yard for about a month until wow. they they came and and fixed it. But um, that I believe was about seven or eight grand. Okay, that's not bad. Yeah. So rather than wrap the inside, most people gut the inside and do it. You right. did it from the outside. Yeah, so you always have those two options. Most people don't do it from the outside because they have decks. They have all kinds of things in the way. Well, this one was just in the garage portion. So that's all you had to do, and then yeah. you fixed it. Yeah, okay. exactly. But there was it was um, quite a quite a doozy of a crack, so there had to be some structural beams put in to make sure it doesn't move anymore. Oh, okay. So you did some structural fixing as well. Yeah. Had an engineer look yep. over it? Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's smart. You got to have the right team. You do it. Well, and then I didn't know of any until I essentially went on uh, Google and Found some in my area. Found an engineer? That's right. One guy said this much, and I said, that's too much. Went to the next guy. He said, okay, I can do it for this. And I was like, that seems reasonable. Okay, so not to jump around, but I do want to get back to your property that we we did the 500% return on. Yes. Um, so does that one, you said that was 70s? No, that no. one, no, that was between 50 and 99. I think it's a 40s. 40s okay, 40s. Yeah. So you're not anticipating any electrical work needed there, though? So the seller provided us with, uh, in 2018, ESA certificates. Okay, so you're um, confident it's okay. I'm confident it's okay. Um, and just based off of, like, all the all the plugs were grounded, that usually means knobbin tube is not prevalent. Oh, okay, so you have proper grounded. Yeah. You can still have knobbin tube. A lot of people think you can't have it. You can, but yeah. they have to use uh, GFIs at the breaker panel. So they basically, it's a... And then ESA will certify it. Yeah. Um, so there is a way, but insurance companies still don't love it. That, but it, it is doable. Just so you know, I know some people think that you can't have that. I wouldn't want to have it, but it's doable. It's doable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned before there was an issue with uh, aluminum wiring. Can you yes. tell us a little bit about that and why people should be on the lookout for that? Yeah. So essentially aluminum wiring, uh, it was used in, I think the seventies and eighties mostly. Um, and it oxidizes over time, can start fires. So insurance companies don't like that, but that doesn't mean they won't insure your property. What you have to do is you actually have to get a certified electrician in there and they do what's called pigtailing. Uh, and they put a special coating 
around the uh, aluminum wire and connect it to the um, receptacles and switches. And that essentially stops the oxidization from happening. Once they do that, um, ESA, they get a certificate, and then you provide that to your insurance company. And it's just like normal, regular insurance at that point. Then you're all good. Yeah. Usually you have to get it done within 30 days, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So when you get it insured, they give you a certain timeline. Exactly. I had that on my, uh, on my, uh, one rental that had the knob and tube. They gave me so long and I'm like, Oh, I think I'm going to replace it. And, uh, and then I talked to the electrician. He's like, no, all you need to do is just get a GFI. Well, the insurance company wasn't okay with it. So I actually had to get a different one, but, uh, yeah, you just obviously make sure you check it with your insurance companies. Yeah. Last um, thing you want is a fire in your house and it and not be insurable claim denied. Yeah. That's, that's not exactly an ideal, uh, scenario. Okay. So that one's good. Um, what are you, what are you looking for now? Like what's next for you? Like you didn't, you haven't yet told me what your goal is with all of this. Like what are you trying to accomplish in your life and, and what kind of investment strategy is going to take you there? I think the goal is to focus on it full time eventually. Um, like I said, I still work a day job, but, um, I see the power and the growth I've had over the last four years and I would love doing it full time. Um, I'm still going to keep looking for cash flow properties. I would like now to get more into like the four unit buildings. Um, I don't own one yet, but that's kind of what I'm looking for. Triplexes, fourplexes. Um, and now I'm actually going to start working with private money, private money. You haven't done yeah. that yet. Haven't done that yet. Um, it's something I'm a very risk adverse guy. Um, so the idea of it does scare me a little bit, but in terms of private money, I have uh, family members and stuff like that who have seen me grow mm-hmm. and want to get involved with me. So I think if I can, with friends and family, if I can get some private money that way, I'll be more comfortable doing it. Yeah. That's how, honestly, that's how it started for me. Like, yeah. I just, friends and family, you know, start seeing it and you're talking, uh, you know, when you get together, oh, we should talk. Like we want to get started on investing. Exactly. There's an easy, uh, easy conversation that, that gets going. And, um, I know what you're saying, uh, like risk averse, like you're talking, paying more, right? So that, that causes you a little bit of fear. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and the consequences of not paying. Right. And because sure. I'm, a, have I enjoy studying, the great depression, the financial crisis. I'm kind of a nerd for that. So I always have this thought in the back of my head, like that will happen again. And I don't want to be put in a situation where I'm stuck, uh, essentially with my pants down. Right. Um, so when I say risk adverse, it's, it's mainly that it's, I, I know that's in the back of my head. It will happen again, but so I don't want to spread myself ever too thin. And I couldn't agree with that more. I know some people might think that I have a tolerance for risk, which I mean, I guess, you know, that's a very subjective thing. Well, yeah. But I mean, in the eyes of a non-investor, they'd say, oh, well, that's risky. But I don't really agree. Like I mitigate my risk and I agreed completely. So I won't borrow money from anybody unless I have cash flow to cover it. So that's one of the main tests. That's why every property must cash flow. You know, it's absolutely... um, uh, a non non-negotiable every property must because what if something were to happen to me you know that property needs to be able to take care of itself uh there needs to be equity available to pay out those loans absolutely um, there's like i i do a complete checklist of of things to feel comfortable even borrowing it because yeah i mean i don't take that lately and i know you wouldn't either right like if you're if you're committing to pay back something you're obviously that's what you're you're gonna do so um 
yeah, I would highly, highly recommend anybody listening. Yeah, don't ever do a joint venture. Don't ever take anyone's money unless you're 100% confident in your ability to deliver. For sure. And now it's going harder and harder to find those deals. So you have to make sure you're really doing the math on them. Yeah, you got to be savvy. Right? 100%. That's the whole reason they would want to invest with you is because you did the hard work That's to right. learn. Right? They want to, hands off. They want to check every month. Yeah, which, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad people like that exist because they fund people like us. <laughs> exactly. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's great um, when that happens. Now, I'm going to give you something to think about here. I, I look at it this way. Um, joint venture costs 50%. Private money costs 10 Right. So rather than give up 50% of my equity in perpetuity, I could just pay 10% for the period of my renovations and then, you know, refi with the bank. It's a lot cleaner. That's the reason I think like, you know, a lot of people rush to the JVs and I'm totally cool with JVs when it, when the situation warrants it. Um, I think that there's a lot of people who kind of defer and go to JV when they don't need to. And I think for you, you might actually find that you can go back to doing a bunch of deals yourself just by utilizing private funds. Right. Whether it be mortgages or, you know, stuff that you work out with your family. Exactly. And that's what, that's what I'm seeing now. It's exactly it. You're like, no, I want to, want to keep all the equity. Exactly. It is a huge difference. Like if you, if you project out one property, I know like the first thing everyone's thinking is JV and I'm not discounting that some, there's a place for that. But, uh, if you just project out, like if I'm getting all of the upside, you know, we've been getting five, 10% appreciation on our properties in Ontario, you're either getting half of that or all of that. And uh, in your net worth statement, it will make a big difference. So you're still very young, Colton. You got uh, you got time. That's right. You can now make it happen. Um, tell me a little bit about your systems. Are you self-managing? Yes. So self-managing 100% of my properties. And how do you keep keep your hair and not go gray, not lose it? Uh, what do you do? What do you do to make it all happen? Like I said earlier, it comes to training your tenants from day one, right? So um, the selection process has to be thorough. That's why I'm not a fan of inheriting tenants, although you will come across that in your investing journey. Um, but making sure that um, the tenants have good jobs, right? Make sure that the tenants aren't in crazy amounts of debt. Um, but then also things like you have the conversation with them. Again, if a light bulb's burnt out, there's light bulbs in the closet. You can change it yourself. Uh, one thing I do is um, all the toilet lines get flushed. So I know that if... They try to call me for a clogged toilet. They did that. They can get a plunger and they can fix it. So the whole toilets, tenants, termites thing, um, minus termites, that can be kind of put to the side from training your tenants from day one. So you f- you flush their toilets? Like you bring in somebody to blow yep. out the lines? Yep. I've never heard of anyone doing that. It's a couple hundred bucks. And I know that A, the lines are clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and chances are they're not going to clog. And if they do clog, tenants can buy a bottle of Drano and a plunger. Yeah. The most common thing I find is the, uh, is the roots and the main line out to the street. That's, that's the one that I now have on my annual maintenance schedule. So every August I just have them come in and just in two of my properties because the roots grow through. Right. You know, that's a stopgap. Eventually I'll probably have to replace the line or line it. But, uh, for now that, that seems to work. Is that what you're referring to? Or you're actually talking about into each toilet, blow out each, each, each line toilet and shower blowing out each one just wow yeah they come in there with like their high pressured stuff and yeah shoot it out not a bad idea actually 
Okay. Walk me through your screening process. How, you know, are, where are you advertising? What's coming into you? Who are you selecting? And how do you make your decisions? Yeah. So I used to only do Kijiji, but now I have most success on Facebook Marketplace. So like- Hear that all the time. I have a, I had an, av, an ad on there right now and I had in St. Catharines, about 50 people reach out and I have a bunch of people coming tonight to come check out this yeah. property. Um, so- what I do is I have a Microsoft Forms where I will send them the link to it and they fill it out and just ask a couple of questions. Um, are you working? Yes or no. Do you expect to have pets in the future? Yes or no. Um, I put an income range on there. Um, and essentially that's just a quick way for them to send it right back to me. Oh, another question is why are you leaving your current residence? That's a good question to know. Um, and then just any additional comments. So, and you do that before, like that's your first point of contact? 100%. So, so they say, hey, I'm interested. Can I see it? Sure. If you could please just fill this out and then we can arrange yeah, something. I say, thank you for your interest. Um, before scheduling viewings, I screen my tenants from the beginning. Uh, so please fill out this form and uh, I'll let you know. And I find that that weeds out a lot of a lot of people. So you get you know, a one property where you get like 30 responses and you're whittling that down to how many people would fill out your form? Uh, probably 15 to 20. So, so most of them will most fill it out. Most of them will fill it out. And then from there, I'm probably picking like six or seven. Six or seven to come see it. To come see it. Now, out of those six or seven, this is the very curious part for me. How many no-shows? Half, 50%. So show. even though they went through all that stuff, see, that's the part that boggles my mind. They take all the time. I had one that I had 30 people inquire and only two showed up. Yeah. It's like absolutely that's, insane that's why i don't go okay yeah you at five you at five thirty you at six i just go everyone's coming at five yeah like i'm not gonna because i've had that happen right where i've yeah. scheduled three or four half an hour back to back and yeah. one shows up i've heard people i, I do that too yeah and and some people like push back on me they're like well but andrew but then you don't get to like get a feel for the people when you when you meet with them i'm like but i don't want to waste my time <laughs> well that's it and then but you can also if you find someone that you do like you can always have a follow-up with them. Yeah. If it's down to like the final two, you could even like go say, hey, you know, I just want to meet you for a quick coffee. Have, exactly. a, have a conversation. Yeah. And I've done that before. Yeah. I, and especially with family rentals, like with students, I'm not nearly concerned like that. But with family rentals, like you're you're getting in into a serious relationship with with someone for sure it could be they could be around for 10 years yes so you're going to want to make sure you want to deal with that person yeah absolutely and these are the systems that that either make people feel like they need a property manager or not right because i'm of the opinion you actually don't need a property manager i don't have one yeah um, but you do need systems very good ones 100 percent. and you need people that you can rely on they don't need to be a property manager but i have a handyman I've got 24-hour plumbing, heating, emergency contact that the tenants know who to call. Yep. You know, all those things. So it's really, really easy. They can just do it. Uh, but then you got to have, you know, great screening. That's the number one. That's number one for sure. Um, do, you, do you want somebody like, do you have like, what's the ideal response? Like when you have a, you have your checklist of, of responses that you're looking for, who makes the cut? Like, who are you looking for? Must be employed. Okay, that's a basic requirement. <laughs> well, you know, no ODSP or like disability payments, anything like that. Yeah, because I'm not guaranteed. I'm not. I know I'm not guaranteed the rent from anybody. But if someone, the majority of my tenants, honestly, are combined that they're a couple, they're making close to eighty, ninety, a hundred grand. Right. Right. So 
they on that income you could probably get a house but maybe they're not have they don't have good savings um rituals or maybe their credit's not the best yeah but they're higher income right like the average income in canada is around 50 dollars so they're in and around that so that's my ideal tenant right to have and i try to stay away from seasonal jobs like certain construction oh, jobs yeah. concrete jobs um we know that's mainly from april may to october november so you want to make sure that what are they going to do those rest of the months are they just going to yeah. go on ei right depends on the it depends on who they're with because like the concrete companies i i use i want them to work in this in the winter that's the that's the well, only time yeah, i can get them for sure <laughs> in the in the summer they're too busy yeah. but yeah i know what you're saying there's you, like roofers right like you just want to make yeah. sure that you have tenants that have solid mm-hmm. jobs good paying jobs right i'm more these days like i want professionals like i want and i try and gear my properties for that like people who are on a work contract who have a reason not to want to buy a property, but totally could. Those are the ones that I really like, you know, or if they're just getting started, like their first job ever and they're making 70 grand and they want to rent my unit. I think that's, that's pretty cool. The scenario I'm not really big on, which I've found myself in a few times is you've got two people who don't make a lot, but together make enough that on a mortgage application, if I were to put these income and and this debt service for, for the property in it, they would qualify, but just barely. And then they're bringing, you know, two kids from previous relationships each into the house and all the stuff that comes with that, you know, absolutely. I've got that at one of my properties and yeah, there's nothing wrong with it, but because they're, this is kind of their forever home. It seems, even though they haven't said those words, they did tell me, Hey, Andrew, if you ever want to sell this place, talk to us first, cause we'd be interested. Um, you know, that, that makes me believe that, that they really do just want to stay there. Which is, hey, some people would say that's great. For me, I don't think so. I want turnover on a family rental. I want that them to keep cycling out so I can keep raising the rents to, to current market rather than just do the allowable increase, which is obviously rarely ever enough. Well, yeah, especially when in my area, you know, they just announced that they're raising property taxes 5.2%. Really? In Welland? In Niagara region overall. Oh, the whole, so the whole region. The whole increasing. region's going up by over 5%, but I'm only allowed to raise rent 2.2% this year. Yeah, right. That's the biggest. That's the biggest one we've been allowed. So, uh, I would say, as a general rule, like always, do your increase, no matter what. No matter um, what. The only exception I have is I do have one unit that's actually not rent controlled because I built it and it it was finished after 2018 November, I believe the cutoff was. Right. So I could. That's the one that I could change it to anything I want. And this girl is just such an amazing tenant. Every time I go in there, it looks like a model unit. The way she takes care of the place, I'm like, I just, I don't think I want to change it. I just want to leave exactly. her alone. Yeah. And I am going to do the same thing. So my house is a duplex, the basement apartment. Mm-hmm. It's to an excellent young couple. Like when I'm away, they shovel, they cut the grass. Like they're, they're awesome people. So I don't, I'm not going to raise their rent yeah. um, because I know that they're taking very good care mm-hmm. of my property when I'm there and not there. Yeah, absolutely. Because so, I travel quite a bit, right? So yeah, the investor that, travel couple. It's your that's uh, right. Yeah, your Instagram, Instagram handle. Yeah, yeah, loves to travel. Okay, yeah, and we were going to get to that question, but I do still want to to dive into the screening. So, are you pulling credit checks? I usually have them provide me with the credit check because it's Smart. free for most banks. You can get one a month for free from your bank, from their bank. From I know Scotia sends me one a month for free. RBC does one a month for free. 
This must be new. I used to go to Equifax to pull mine, but it's, yeah. it's getting hard. You can still mail away for it. So you're saying Scotiabank will pull it? Yeah. So every month I get uh, your credit, your new credit report is available. And is that through Equifax or TransUnion? TransUnion. Know? So they give you the TransUnion report. Yeah. So you now ask your tenants, please provide me with the TransUnion credit report that you got. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, I, well, I asked, I said, does your bank do free credit checks? And I've never had someone say no. So they all, every bank I've dealt with, they've been able to provide it to me. It's like their name. It's exactly the one I have. So it's, it looks the same. It's just, that's great. You know what? I did not know that. And that's, well, that's perfect. Okay. So you do that. They provide it. If you see some late payments, like what alarms you, what doesn't alarm you? Usually credit doesn't alarm me too much as long as it's not like in the 500s or like very low sixes because it's so easy to miss a phone bill, right? It's so easy yeah. to miss certain like little, uh, one credit card payment. So, so, so you might see an R2, which means they've been late before. Correct. But they might not be late now, but in the past you can see they had a history. Right. They had a couple of late credit card payments. Exactly. And that's probably why especially if they're making close to hundred grand combined, it's probably why they can't maybe purchase a house is because they're right. missing a payment here and there. Um, so that doesn't concern me overall, overall as long yeah. as it's not like really, really bad credit. Yeah, like I forget where I heard this, but there's a, a psychology and a priority. Like people will prioritize their car payment number one, their rent payment number two, right. and then everything else after that. And their Rogers bill last. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which is why so many people have a Rogers communication uh, uh, collection account. And for those who aren't familiar with Rogers, that's the uh, the cable and telephone company yeah. um, here in Ontario and, and in a lot of Canada. So yeah, we constantly, constantly see, I see that more than anything on any credit I ever check is the Rogers collection. Account. Always the cell phone bill. Always. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that'll happen. Um, I also don't worry too much about a few late payments. What it would be more uh, concerning is if I see a judgment from a previous landlord because they didn't pay the rent, right? Um, which is you would really have to tick off a landlord for them to do that. Uh, and I've seen it. I have. Have you? I haven't come across that yet. Yeah. But uh, that, yeah, that would definitely raise some questions. Yeah. And if I just see absolutely everything, then I would just have a follow up. And if if the response from the tenants to why it happened is we've had some bad luck, I'm not interested in having them as tenants. They could say we had a sickness in the family or, you know, this happened or I lost my job. But, uh, you know, at the same time as this happened and everything went to heck, but we're back on our feet now and we're, we're fixing it. Um, those are the kind of responses that I can work with, but I can't I can't handle if, if people don't take responsibility for what they've created and, and that it was their fault and, their, and it is their responsibility to fix it. You're going to have a lot of trouble with them as tenants. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> They're going to have clear. their hand out. Everything is on you as a landlord. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. That is no, oh, that's a good way to get out of the game. As I said that a lot, there's a lot of good ways to get out of the game. And that is one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So any other tips there? So you do go through the credit. Um, you're, you're mostly okay. Unless you see just an absolute minefield of, of problems all throughout. Yeah. Yeah. And then I always, I always do do the reference checks. I know a lot, like people say, oh, it could just be a friend who's going to lie for mm -hmm. them. But you know, I ask him to with social media now, it's so easy to find out who the reference mm -hmm. is, right? So um, I'll always ask for okay, uh, like a job reference mm -hmm. um, and then a personal reference. Job reference, personal reference, landlord reference? If they have one. Previous landlord. Yeah, if they have one. So a lot so, of my tenants are coming from home. Okay. Yeah, I've had that too. Yeah. Those so, can be good. They yeah, can be good. I haven't had any issues yet, knock on wood, but, mm -hmm. um, so, but always do the reference checks, right? And then, but not just give the person a call. 
go on Facebook, go on Instagram, right? Yeah. Check them out, do a deep dive to see who they really are because right. most people nowadays, everything's open. So I've heard a couple of good little tricks. One is, hi, I'm calling about the property for rent. Oh. <laughs> when you call and if they respond with oh, which one, then you know they're a landlord. Right. And you just got to tell them, oh, I just do that because I just want to make sure they're not giving me a fake reference. Got it. Uh, you, can, you can play that off. I've never done that. I don't know if that, that fits with my personality. But what I do do is uh, they tell me the address. Give me that person's name. I have a system called Purview because I'm a mortgage agent. So I'll just look up and see if they actually own it. That's through Terranet. So if you're interested in being able to actually search and see if somebody owns the property that the reference is being given for. Uh, you can do that. It's it's 30 bucks a property, so it's kind of expensive. But to me, it's worth it over over having a bad tenant. $30 so, for not spending thousands yeah, on a bad tenant? Yeah, because a bad tenant will cost you thousands, not yeah, 30. Exactly. So uh, that's one way. The other thing you could do is just have a strategic partner, have a realtor that they, they can use something called Geo Warehouse here in Ontario. Just have them pull out, uh, pull, the, pull the parcel, uh, tell you, you know, who owned it during which times, and you can make sure you know. And if that tenant lied to you and gave you a fake reference, they just did you a huge favor. 100%. Because now you're not going to have that tenant. And and now you know you can just move on to the next one that's actually yeah, good. And keep their name for further down the keep road. Keep their name, yeah. I mean, it, it's apparently not legal to uh, share that with other people. But, uh, I mean, certainly if somebody asks you, hey, I had this person apply, have they applied to you? Uh, I think you could certainly share your experience. I would say yes. Just make sure you check them out a little bit further. Yeah, right? you might want to do your due diligence. <laughs> might want to do your due diligence on that one. As always. As always. Yeah. Uh, okay, so they go through that process. You do you do the calls, the references. If they're just coming from home, hopefully they haven't established any bad habits. It'd be great to see that if they don't have any landlord references, they've at least been paying their credit card and their phone bill on time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I've, I've seen from the tenants I have right. that are coming straight from home. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. So any other tips you could you could leave our listeners with as to finding the right tenants and what they can do? Uh, I would say try and meet them outside. See how their inside their car looks. If their inside of their car is a disaster, that's probably how they're going to treat their house. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if it's freezing outside, you can't do that. You can, but it might be a little oh, harder. Okay. But um, one thing I do is, you know, they ask, can I take my shoes off or should I take my shoes off? Yeah. I would, I like when they ask that question. Cause it's telling it's exactly it. Right. They're not just gonna, if they, if they move in, you know, boots are full yeah. of mud, just going to run to the house. It's like, yeah, no. So if they know, if they're asking me that chances are that they'll do that every single time they'll take their boots off. Right. So just little things like that, right. Things you would do, what would you want to see in a tenant? Right. That's, that's smart. Um, I had a friend tell me this and I think it's another clever little trick. You can ask them if, uh, Oh, when's the last time you got an N4? in ontario an n4 is the form you give a tenant when they're not paying their rent to evict them it's the starting the process so the tenant should not know what an n4 is in an ideal world they don't know and in the ideal response to that question is what's an n4 if they think about it and like oh well it's been quite a while and you know <laughs> you know they got one right so uh again just a way of getting a little more information that you might like not that. otherwise get yeah i like that one just slip it in real quick real yeah. casually yeah. get an honest answer so uh yeah little little renting hacks i might have to do that tonight at one of my yeah when's was the last time you got an n4 just yeah. curious i just you know let's just get it all all out there um okay so colton i know we focused a lot on acquisition um you know some some of the specific rentals that you're doing uh you said you're in finance what is it that you do uh for work so i work in the univ- uh, post-secondary 
sector in the finance departments. Okay, in finance department. Yeah. Okay. And um, if you wanted to leave our our guests, or sorry, our listeners and our audience with um, a couple of pieces of wisdom, what would you uh, like to tell them? Get out of your comfort zone. So if you're the the person who's been thinking about investing in real estate and haven't pulled the trigger, you just got to go out and do it. Um, it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to make mistakes, but you're going to learn. The biggest thing that people run into is they just can't get over the fear factor. Um, but if you don't take any risks in life, unfortunately, I don't think you're going to be as satisfied. Um, so definitely get out of your comfort zone, take some risks. Um, and hundred percent, you have to meet like-minded individuals. You know, if you are with individuals who every week just want to go to the bar, you know, and you want something else, hang around with the people that are that something else. Um, surround yourself with like-minded individuals because uh, they will propel you farther and towards your goals. Yeah, it's like it's a perfect example of that is if you and I go hang out, go take a little ride around Fort Erie, we're both thinking nonstop, talking nonstop about investing, acquiring properties, how to do it, how to make more money, how to make more equity. If that's all you think and talk about and the people around you think and talk about that, how could you not end up doing that? That's exactly it. Right. So that, yeah, that's why it is. I couldn't agree more. Get around, get around the people. Take action, of course, because once you, even if it's one tiny little property, my first property was $129,000. Man, I learned a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just a little one, but I learned a lot. Yeah. And you made a lot of mistakes. Oh yeah. Right. But you learned the first one was buying it. <laughs> right. But you learned from it. Right. And down the road that would just propel you farther because you won't make those same mistakes twice. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, and, and it really does. Like the, I, I was on another interview recently and I was asked if I had done private mortgage lending and I actually have my, the loan was $12,000, <laughs> just a little baby. There you go. But having done that, I knew exactly what went into that. I knew the process. I knew working with the lawyers and having known it from the lender's side, I have a lot better understanding as the borrower. Um, you know, when I started getting into that, what to expect and, you know, private money is expensive. And I learned that right off the bat because I made a decent fee when I lent. So, um, you know, it's all experience, anything you can do to get in, get started, get going. And you just, you just go from there. That being said, work with good mentors, Absolutely. Like get around, go to the meetups. I know you guys have a meetup in Niagara region, right? Yeah. So myself, Sean Rea and Ian Poland, we actually met each other just at the right club in the summertime. And we said, mm -hmm. why are we driving around all these places? Like, let's start our own. Mm -hmm. So every month in the Niagara region, we do have the Niagara region REI meetup. It's a Facebook group as well. So if you are interested, um, it's on a monthly basis and just go on Facebook and find the Niagara region REI meetup. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I've been meaning to come down there too. Uh, I will, <laughs> it will happen sooner or later. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And you know, that region's fantastic. So find your local area meetups, wherever they are, get out to them. Make and if sure there, if there isn't one, start one, start one. Yeah. Right? That's what I did. hundred percent. I mean, the right club exists here, but I wanted one that was more beer drinking and talking. Exactly. So I started it. <laughs> yeah. And it's fantastic. So make sure you check out the Greater Hamilton REI meetup as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for the plug. I appreciate that. Um, Colton, when you're not focused on investing and you've, you've moved fast, right? You started 2016, uh, really put the gas down in 2018. You're, you're going fast. What are you doing when you're not focused on this? Uh, traveling. So I do travel quite a bit, my fiance and I. Um, but I really enjoy things like... Um, physical activity. I enjoy going to the gym, working out. I enjoy reading books. That's a big hobby of mine. Um, and just out there meeting new people, 
right? Like real estate, meeting new people, investing in real estate. I don't know. I kind of, so it just comes back to real estate. It just always comes back to real estate. It doesn't matter where I am. Like I can be in Japan and I'll find somebody who, who does real estate there and I'll start talking with them. I I like it. I've been trying to dissect. Why is it that I like talking about real estate all the time? Like anytime, any social setting at all, I just come back to talking about real estate and I'm like, why do I like it? And it's not so much that it has to be real estate, but I love entrepreneurialism. Like, I just love it when people are thinking, how can I add value? How can I make things better? Right. How can I, you know, do the next big thing? And it just, it's so interesting, the ideas people come up with, the way people do things, seeing how people do things differently. I just find it entertaining. So, I mean, I know not everybody's like that. So I guess I'm kind of fortunate. That that's how I, I think. Because it allows me to invest in real estate and like it. But it's because you surround yourself with individuals like that. True. I'm trying to get my wife to appreciate that too. I, I think she, you know, she just did a really big burr. If you, I don't know if you heard that episode. I heard about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so she's a little bit more keenly interested now like when things come up. So, I've planted the seed. Well, she planted her own seed there. So that's uh, <laughs> that's progress for down the road. Um, when are you getting married? Uh, July 2020. Congratulations. That's coming up fast. Are you going insane? Um. Yes and no. Writing a lot of checks? Well, yeah. Well, we're actually doing it in Colombia. So, so you're going to Colombia? Oh, so you're just doing a destination? Well, my fiance is originally from Colombia. Okay. So we're um, having it uh, there, A, because it's a lot cheaper, but just to make things easier for her family. And it's just, it's a beautiful country. It's a beautiful place to be. Uh, one of my favorite countries I've ever been to. So it's going to be a nice to get married and then get away for a little bit as well. That sounds fantastic. Well, congratulations again. Uh, is there anything else that uh, you'd want to give a shout out to your YouTube channel or yeah, anything else? So I started a YouTube channel back in the summertime. It's just my name, Colton Lukey, and it's everything about real estate. So yeah, doing I, some case studies. I know you got, you got some tours of your properties. Tours of properties, uh, things I've experienced, tenant selection, 1% rule, my refinance, stuff like that. So if you're learning to get in, if you want to get involved in real estate and you're just starting out, um, definitely check out my YouTube channel, smash that like button and click subscribe. Yeah. Yeah. Give them, give them some love. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate you coming on Colton and, um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to, to discussing this with you further and getting down to uh, Fort Erie with you. I'd like to see some property. I'd love for you to come out. Thanks for having me. Thanks for watching today's episode. Just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell. Uh, And also leave a comment. And hey, while you're at it, why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help? It helps this podcast grow and I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.